Welcome to The Drum Shuffle, a podcast offering insights, perspectives, and conversations for drummers. I'm your host, Jamie Eads. Hey, how's it going out there, everybody? Welcome to the Drum Shuffle. Jamie Eads joining you as I do each and every week. This is episode 118. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody. We have reached Thanksgiving week. A quick programming note for you. Uh, Even though you're getting this episode the day before Thanksgiving of 2020, there will not be a new episode next week. Because as you are listening to this, I am getting my daughter home from Ballet Conservatory in North Carolina. So I am going to spend the Thanksgiving week and next week spending time with her. Uh, Just really looking forward to that. So no new episode next week, but you are getting one here the day before Thanksgiving. Uh, I hope everybody's having a great week out there. We're having a great week here at the Drum Shuffle. We have a fantastic interview for you today. I am going to be joined by the legendary journalist, Robin Flans, right after this message from our sponsor, Los Cabos Drumsticks. The best kept secret for drummers is finally out. Los Cabos Drumsticks may look like the sticks you grew up with, but these are not your father's drumsticks. Los Cabos Drumsticks is Canada's number one drumstick brand and they are coming to a retailer near you. With operations in over 28 countries worldwide, thousands of drummers have already discovered the Los Cabos difference. Using FSC certified wood from Canada and the US, Los Cabos make the finest quality drumsticks, percussion tools, and accessories on the market. The best news, Los Cabos Drumsticks offers you a ton of choice. They have 22 individual drumstick models and 14 percussion tools, many of which are available in three different wood types, maple, white hickory, and red hickory. Red hickory comes from the center or heart of the hickory tree and has been independently proven to be both stronger and more elastic than white hickory without adding a lot of weight. While most drumstick manufacturers have shunned red hickory, Los Cabos Drumsticks has embraced it, becoming the only established stick brand in the world to offer a full line of red hickory drumsticks. To learn more about Los Cabos Drumsticks, visit them online at loscabosdrumsticks.com, follow them on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, and don't forget to ask for Los Cabos Drumsticks at your favorite retailer. Dare to be different. Join the Red Hickory Revolution with Los Cabos Drumsticks. All right, guys and girls, as I mentioned, we're going to be joined by the great Robin Flans in just a moment. Um, First of all, I want to say I used to daydream when I probably should have been paying attention in algebra class or something like that. I used to daydream of being interviewed by Robin Flans for Modern Drummer when I was just a kid. Um, I thought about, you know, what questions would Robin ask me and how would I answer them? Never in my wildest dreams did I ever imagine that I would have the privilege of interviewing Robin Flans for a podcast that was mine. Uh, First of all, podcasts didn't exist back in the late Paleolithic era when I was a kid, but you know what I mean. Uh, Guys, Robin Flans has been writing uh, for many, many, many years. If you're not hip to the work she did with Modern Drummer back in the day, go find those back uh, back issues of Modern Drummer because she was the preeminent interviewer for that magazine for many, many years. She has a great new book out called It's About Time, Jeff Picaro, The Man and His Music. Robin was great friends with the legendary Jeff Picaro, and she I, I just couldn't think of somebody better to write a biography on Jeff, and she has nailed it with this. And if you listen all the way through this interview, you are going to have the opportunity to win a copy of this book 
courtesy of Robin Flan. So we thank her for that. So without further ado, help me welcome to the drum shuffle, Robin Flans. Hey, good morning, Robin. How are you today? I am terrific, Jamie. How are you? Well, I'm doing good. Uh, we've finally got some cold weather here in Kentucky. It was uh, <laughs> a balmy 28 degrees this morning. So, uh, oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's nice here in Los Angeles, so. I'm sure it is. You know, I, I jokingly said to you, if I could have Kentucky traffic and California weather, I'd really be doing something, right? <laughs> I get that. I get that. So I just I just stay at home. I don't go out in the traffic. I, well, that's probably wise. You know, it's uh, you're taking your life into your own hands if you get on the uh, the five freeway out there. But, that's uh, true. Yeah. So, well, hey, thank you so much for taking time to come on the drum shuffle. We really appreciate it. We're looking forward oh, to this. Oh gosh, one. thank you for your interest. I I really appreciate it. Oh well, there's. There's a lot to dig into, um, you know, I, and I am not trying to date anyone here, okay? But <laughs> when when I started drumming way back in 1988, um, you okay. know, I, I was one of those kids that begged my mom for drums, and I finally got a drum set. And the music store where we bought my first kit, the guy said, here, I'm going to throw in this month's Modern Drummer, right? Mm -hmm. And immediately that opened up a whole world to me. You know, I had MTV and Modern Drummer and every month, typically, there was Robin Flans. You know, so <laughs> many cover stories that you did for Modern Drummer over the years. I'm curious you know, where, what is the origin of Robin Flans? Where did you grow up and, and how did you get involved? I mean, obviously you're a great journalist, but how did you get involved in the drumming side of things? By 88, I was already writing for Modern Drummer for, I think about 11 years. Um, yeah, I, um, I mean, to, sort of rewind really quickly. I was a theater arts major at UCLA. <clears throat> I decided, I mean, I had wanted to do that for my whole childhood. And then at the last minute, I decided I wasn't cut out for that sort of rejection. <laughs> and yeah, um, and decided that my other love really was music. And, and the Beatles had really started it all in me, like most of you musician types, yeah. um, but I didn't play a mu a, an instrument. And, um, and what other thing did I love to do but write? And so I contacted um, Billboard magazine, which of course is the Bible in, uh, in those you know, kinds of things. Um, and I asked the woman uh, who was in charge of reviews, whose name I still remember, Jean Williams, and asked her if I could do reviews. And interestingly enough, she said, hey, I'll, I'll give you a shot. Why don't you come in and show me some reviews you've done? Well, of course, I hadn't done any. So I went to all these local uh, clubs and just wrote, you know, reviews on the cocktail bands. Okay. And I brought them in. And she said, okay, you know, I can see that you're, you know, good at this. I'm going to give you a review to do. Believe it or not, she sent me out to the Greek theater. My first real professional review was for Billboard magazine on Chicago. Nice. And they had just changed labels um, to uh, CBS and they threw this huge party for them uh, up at the observatory, which is connected to the Greek theater. They, shut, they shuttled all of us up. It was this big bacchanalian feast. It was, I thought this was, you know, what the music world was going to really be like. Um, this was <laughs> a one of a kind, let me tell you. It was amazing. 
anyway, I did this review. It was um, published. I mean, it was amazing. My first, you know, shot out of the gate. And um, then I went home and I thought, what can I do with this? How can I parlay this into something? So sure enough, I thought to myself, what do I really love about music? Well, I was always attracted to the drums. I mean, to me, that was the foundation of the music. You know, when I listened to music, my head was going up and down, up and down. When I listened to the Beatles, it was, you know, it was Ringo. I mean, I'm not saying he was my favorite Beatle. I really loved all of them. But it was the thing I gravitated towards well yeah drummers are the are the cool guys in the band right i mean (laughs) (laughs) well yeah and it's the thing that i feel yeah it's the it's the thing it's the thing right so i found out about this thing called modern drummer i don't know you know i don't even remember how I found out about Modern Drummer, because, of course, there wasn't the Internet. But um, I did some research, and I found out there was a magazine. I think I went to the newsstand. That's what I did in those days. I went to the newsstand, and I looked at all the magazines, and there was Modern Drummer and Guitar Player and all these magazines, but Modern Drummer was what I zeroed in on. And I looked up the phone number and I called the magazine and I suggested, because I had just done this review on Chicago, that they do a story on Danny Seraphine. Yeah. So now when you, when you called, did you get Ron Spagnardi on the phone? Okay. I spoke, I spoke with, at the time, the editor was a, a gal, but that was her first editor by the name of Karen uh, Larcombe. Okay. And she, well, little did I know, they were still working in the garage. Yeah, well, I it, mean, at that time, weren't they still just a quarterly? I mean, they weren't monthly at that time, were they? No, they weren't monthly. Okay. I think they were still a quarterly. Okay. It was 1978. And I. Spoke to Karen. She since became one of my closest friends in the world and still is. Um, but she listened to what I had to say. She took it to Ron. I think he got on the phone with me. What I said to them, of course, I played myself up. I write for billboard of course well yeah that's exactly (laughs) what you say right you know i i did one review right it doesn't doesn't matter you write for billboard (laughs) it does not matter that's perfect and and so i said you know and my most recent review was on chicago and it occurred to me (laughs) blah 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 (laughs) and so he said yeah that's a really good idea and and it seems to me he should be on the cover. So my first story out of the gate was a cover story for Modern Drummer. Nice. And Danny and I, you know, we, we became friends from the very first out of the gate. We did it around his pool. And, uh, yeah, all these years later... So, I mean, that's in a nutshell, why, why drums, you know, it just, to me, it was just that I gravitated and, um, you know, from there, I just became their go-to LA person. I mean, we joked through the years that I was their LA office. Of course, you know, did I get the perks? No, I never got, you know, insurance. (laughs) I never got, you know, I was uh, an independent contractor all those years. People thought I was sort of on staff. No. Um, And so because of that, of course, you know, um, they never paid very well. It was more a labor of love. Um, 
and I had to write for other magazines. What most people who followed me at Modern Drummer um, never knew, I, I worked for People magazine, I worked for In Touch magazine through the years. I was on staff for a while at um, Soap Opera magazine. Oh, wow. Uh, I worked um, for Country Weekly uh, for years. I started uh, Country Weekly magazine um, with them. I covered all the main events for People Magazine, the Golden Globes, the Emmys, the Oscars. Um, You know, I did a whole lot of work for other people who paid me way more than Modern Drummer ever paid me. Sure, well, and I continued, and I continued to work for them because it was a love. Yeah, and you know, I mean, I think. Just for our listeners that that aren't aware, you know, I I don't want to put too fine a point on it, but, you know, Modern Drummer literally started out of Mr. Spagnardi's garage and, you know, it was basically a newsletter and, you know, it, it has grown into what it is today. But they're still to this day, as far as I know, headquartered in New Jersey, correct? Right. Okay. And, so. and Ron did, and I've, I've told this story many times, but um, don't know how many people have heard it. Uh, he did something that I don't know if he knew it was illegal at the time, <laughs> but, um, but, you know, he's gone anyway, and I don't think he can get in trouble for it 40 years later. Um, but he, uh, he took subscription money before there was a magazine. He announced the magazine and used that money to create the magazine. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he created a magazine when there wasn't any magazine. I mean, he did this independently. There was guitar player, um, that, had bass and keyboards and they were a company, you know, they were a whole company that made, that did all the other instruments, but they didn't have drums. Yeah. Well, and, and Ron the, saw the marketplace. Yeah. And, and for our younger listeners, you know, now you've got, you know, I don't, I don't know how many different monthly drumming magazines. I, I can think of three or four right off the top of my head. But back in those days... And some of them have gone out of business. Yeah, correct. Yes. Um, but, you know, back in the day, th- there was nothing for drummers. That's and, right. And, there and, was nothing. And, and he's the one that, you know, they're the granddaddy of them all, obviously. That's right. He was a drummer. He saw the need. And he, he took the subscription money and he started it in his garage and, um, and he pulled it off. Yeah. I mean, he could have gotten in a lot of trouble taking that (laughs) money and not pulling it off. (laughs) Right. But he pulled it off. He ended up being able to buy a building to create his passion in it. And he did very well. I loved Ron. Ron was a good man, a fair man. Um, I was really sad when he left the planet. And um, yeah, he was a great guy. Yeah. He was a he was a visionary and a wonderful man. Yeah, indeed. Um, now, I I, I want to. I'm going to have a hard time getting this form formulated in my brain. Um, you know, I jumped down every rabbit hole on this show. You'll, you'll find that about me. But um, you started writing for Modern Drummer very early on. I mean, I, I don't yeah. know exactly when he started the magazine, maybe 75, 76. No, it was, yeah, it was, um, 
I want to say just about a year before I came aboard. Okay. I'm pretty sure. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, you became kind of the de facto, you know, as you jokingly said, the LA office for modern drummer. Yep. Yep. And, and of course, you know, um, them being in New Jersey, being headquartered there, they had access to all the New York jazz guys, you know, Correct. And, and the New York scene. But at the time that you started writing for them, most of the action in popular music at that time was in L.A. and, you know, r- remained that way for many, many years so I'm assuming you were pretty busy um, writing for them because, you know, like I said, in the 80s, when I first started reading the magazine, I mean, I think you did probably, you know, eight out of 12 covers for them, you know, each year. Well, it got very busy uh, at first. Like you said, I think it was quarterly and then it became bimonthly. Um, it finally went monthly. I don't I couldn't tell you what year that was but probably by the time um Rick Mattingly came on board and I couldn't tell you what year that was either I would have to ask Rick who is also still a really good friend by the way yeah um and Rick kept me very busy but interestingly enough because they were all New York guys, these editors and people that were in that building, you know, I had a hard time sometimes convincing them of what was really happening in L.A. because they, um, you know, the Internet was not happening yet. And for instance, and Rick and I were just marveling about this recently because of my book um, on Jeff Picaro, that when I did the first cover story on, on Jeff, or well, let's back up, when I did the first interview that I did with Jeff in 1982, um, I had to convince him that it had to be a cover story. Wow. They were completely not on board. Completely. That's that's amazing to me because, I mean, you know, and, and we'll get into the book, but, you know, by that time, you know, Jeff was basically playing on every record. That's <laughs> it was, right. It was either that's, him or that's right. him or Keltner, right? Yeah. And, and I... I mean, I was, I was saying to them, you have to understand, you know, I'm not going to give you this interview unless you put him on the cover. Wow. And, and Jeff was good. I was telling Jeff this while it was going on. Jeff was going, it's okay, Robin. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> and I said, no, it's not okay. It's simply not okay. And. I was telling Rick, it's not okay. Yeah. And, and Rick said to me in an email, he said, I'm really glad I trusted your instinct. This was just last week. He said to me in the email, he said, you know, I was completely not with it. I didn't know. Yeah. Well, you know, we were we were jazzers in New York. We were sitting at desks and we just didn't know. You know, and I think and I don't want to get too much, you know, inside baseball here. But, you know, (laughs) from from their perspective, you know, from the magazine's perspective, they want to put, you know, guys and gals on the cover that will sell more magazines. Well, that's. That's the other thing. You know, session players, forgive me, are a little bit, quote, faceless. Right. But at that time, too, Toto was really starting to happen. Yeah. And I was convincing Rick, trying to convince him of that, too. You know, Toto 4 was starting to really happen. Yeah. And... 
and I was explaining to him that this was, you know, imperative. So, you know, (laughs) in hindsight, it was a good thing he trusted my instincts because we would have really looked stupid. Um, But they just, they didn't have a clue. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, I, I, and I understand that, you know, there, I, we need to sell more magazines, more subscriptions, that sort of thing. And correct, you know, not understanding the gravity of, of what's going on. And, you know, I, I'm sure it still happens all the time. You know, why don't you have this guy in your magazine? Well, <laughs> yeah, he may be a great drummer or, or she may be a great drummer, but nobody knows who that is. That's right. You know, so you you have, you have that, that stuff as well. Um, over the years, all the different, uh, drummers that you interviewed, are there any that, that besides Jeff, because we're going to talk a lot about Jeff, but (laughs) are there any that really stick out in your mind, uh, of, you know, I got to pinch myself that I'm interviewing this drummer. Oh, God. I mean, well, yeah, I mean, Ringo. I mean, uh, that was, you know, like a highlight of my life. Um, I mean, for God's sakes, he was the Beatles. Yeah. I mean, it was, (laughs) for me, that was the pinnacle of pinnacles. Um I was, that was, that was, and and still is. I mean, I've interviewed Ringo like three or four times and, um, and, and he, I mean, I consider him a professional, you know, more than an acquaintance. I mean, he, you know, he knows who I am and um, he requested my presence once at a, you know, to listen to one of his albums. And I mean, that sort of made my life at the time because I was feeling pretty down about where things were at in my career. So that really picked me up and made me feel like I could go on another day. (laughs) Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, that was, that, that's been a biggie. I mean, so I, I feel so, blessed, Jamie, that I, you know, that I can't begin to tell you that how I feel. I mean, I feel so rewarded and I've, you know, I've maintained great relationships with so many people and I've, you know, from, I mean, I was so blessed to have a great relationship with Earl Palmer and and Hal Blaine. I mean, Hal Blaine came to my house for a housewarming in, in an apartment in Receitable <laughs> in Reseda, California. I mean, Hal Blaine. Yeah, Freaking man. Hal Blaine. You know, well, uh, John Densmore came to my housewarming. That's crazy. The, I mean, from the doors. You know, I mean, that, well, who comes to a little apartment housewarming? You know, I mean. Uh, <laughs> Well, that I, I think that speaks volumes not only about you and how fairly you treated these guys a, as a journalist, but it says a lot about them as well. You know. Um, yeah. No, I know. I mean, they they just they're normal, you know, human beings that are just cool human beings that. Um, yeah. You know, I became really close to Ed Shaughnessy. Um, I I co-wrote with him his book, Lucky Drummer. Um, We spent years working together on that. I um, became very close to him in his later years, uh, his last years. Um, He helped me out some when things got tough financially for me. I took him to his doctor's appointments and um, every day I would go by his house and, and pick up his newspaper and his mail and walk it up to his front door because he had a, a 
a steep driveway and I didn't want him walking down that driveway. Um, I lived really close by him and I think it was uh, God's blessing that I moved nearby him. That was meant to be. Um, we, um, we just uh, became really good friends. I miss him very much. He was a a real blessing in my life. I know I'm saying that word a lot, but I, I do. I feel really blessed that, um, you know, Vinny and I are close. Uh, uh, he's somebody I can text anytime, and um, Kiltner and I are good friends. Um, he wrote the foreword in my book. Yeah. And, and, told me he was honored, that it meant everything to him. So, you know, I just, I don't know. You know, I've been so lucky, Jamie, that um, when you ask me if I, if it, you know, what it means or, or if there's people that I, I'm, I'm blown away by all of it. Yeah. Well, Still. I- and you know what? I know exactly what you're saying. You know, I mean, I do because, you know, I, I've never been able to, you know, make my full living as a musician. You know, I, I, I the geography is wrong for me. My talent level mm. is wrong. <laughs> you know, no. you know, well, I'll, you haven't gotten that chance. Well, yeah. And, and that's OK. You know, not everybody can be a professional drummer. Right. But I understand exactly what you're saying simply because I've made so many friendships through this podcast, you know, and not mm. to not to name mm. drop. But last week, you know, I had, you know, like a 30 or 40 minute call with Doug Clifford from CCR. Oh, uh, gosh. Yeah. You, you know, I've had him on the show a couple of times, but, you know, we we've stayed in touch and. It never ceases to blow my mind when my phone rings and it's a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And all he yep. wants is, how are you, man? You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it just, yeah. you know, all those things blow my mind. And I know. I get it. So, so I understand exactly what you're saying when, when you say, you know, I've been so honored and so blessed with all these great things, you know, I don't know that I could handle being in the same room with Jim Keltner. You know, I mean, I would, I I would be like a tornado of, of word salad, just like every question. Right. Um, And he's, and he's like, I mean, I, I, I text him just to say, I love you. That's awesome. That's so good. Because I don't, I, I always want to make sure that the people in my orbit know that I love them, and and I don't want to leave Steve Smith out, and I don't want to leave Rick Morata out, yeah. Because these are people that I I feel, you know, that I really truly care about. Yeah. Um, and I just truly care about it. Yeah. You know, I- when 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 Steve did his art book, um, uh. He asked me to do the bio and the the big biography in it, and I was so honored that he chose me to do it. Um, the fabric of light um, that I I just I was just so honored. So I, you know, these are relationships that I've had for decades. Yeah, decades. Well, really, decades. Speaking of writing a bio for, for Steve Smith, let's get a plug in here real quick, okay? I know that you yeah. still do that work for anybody that wants you to write a bio for them. I know you'll do that. Um, I do. So let's get a plug in to everybody that's listening. <laughs> if you or your band needs a professional bio done, you know, introducing yourself to the world, you know, for your press kit, uh, let me know. We'll get you in touch with Robin and she can do that work for you. I, I happen to love it. It is one of my favorite things to do in the world. 
I, I, I find it very artistic and um, very rewarding to paint the portrait of who you are. It's, it's the most fun thing. I just um, did one for um, Bernie, um, Michael McDonald's guitarist. He's, he's recommended me to so many wonderful people to do that work because I've been working with him for decades as well, um, because Michael McDonald, uh, actually, um, recommended me to him, uh, decades ago. Uh, Michael and I go back a long way as well. So, um, yeah, I, I love that work. Well, I just love that work. We're going to send some folks your way. So, okay. Uh, okay. I- including myself, you know, my bio could, <laughs> Could certainly use a little bit of work. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that here in just a minute. But let's let's get into the book, because that's the reason I wanted to have you on the show. Um, you know, I, I said to you when we were setting up this this interview time, you know, I, I had reached out a while back and just wanted to have you on the show just to, to, to talk about all these interviews. And you were like, well, what was I promoting when, when you reached out? And, <laughs> and I was like, you weren't promoting anything. I just wanted to get you on the show to talk, you know. Um, but, you know, as it turns out, you know, I'm holding in my left hand right now the new mm. book. Um, it's about time. Jeff Picaro, the man and his music. Um, and I have gotten through 90% of the book. Uh, I ran out of time, so I still have, uh, just a little bit to go, but this is such a well-written book. It fills a, I think a massive gap for people that are curious about Jeff. And I know that you were very, very close to Jeff and his dad, you know, for, for many, many years, um, there's so much in the book that was a you know a revelation to me like i love the ron howard story that <laughs> that blew my mind that that was a revelation to me <laughs> you know um and, and i don't want to give away too much because everybody right. should right. own a copy of this book for their library if you're if you're into any drumming at all this is a must own book but when jeff was a kid you know, starting up his first garage bands, Ron Howard, who at the time was, you know, Opie on the Andy Griffith show (laughs) came over to jam with the Picaro kids. And he was like, they were really serious. And I was not, I was out of my depth. It blew my mind that Ron Howard jammed with Jeff Picaro when they were kids. It just blew me away. So it, it blew me away too. And I'll tell you what, I'm going to, tell you the backstory, which I haven't told before. Oh, an exclusive. All right. Now we're yeah, talking. It's an, it's an exclusive. So Joe Picaro mentioned it casually to me that Ron Howard had come over to the house and it sounded really far-fetched to me. <laughs> and, you know, a, a journalist has to check. Sure. You can't just put something in a story, and particularly when it sounds pretty far-fetched. So I reached out. I, I emailed Steve Picaro, and by the way, they were at my beck and call. They were so wonderful. All the Picaros, Steve Lukather, David Page, they were, they were so wonderful. Anytime I had a question, and David Hungate, you know, if anybody could answer a question, they would email me right back. They were wonderful. So I emailed Steve Picaro. I knew Jolene was way too young to have a memory of that. But Steve Picaro said, I don't remember this. So I thought, oh, no. What am I going to do with this? It's too good to let go of. But I can't just put it in the book. So I called Ron Howard's office. (laughs) I talked to his assistant. I said, I know this sounds crazy, but I really need an answer. Can you just ask your boss? I'm writing this book on Jeff Picaro, and he was the, you know, and I give her the background because she sounds too young to know who the hell Jeff Picaro is. <laughs> I said, you know, he was the founding member. Da, 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 da. 
And this is what they, this is what his father said, and blah, 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 blah. Could you just ask him if it's true or false? That's all I want. So, you know, like two weeks go by. I write it on my calendar. I check back with her. She says, I haven't had a chance to ask him. He's working on this whatever big, huge project. And I said, okay, I'll check back with you. So, you know, like a month goes by, I call her back. Oh, he's working on, you know, God's project. I said, okay, <laughs> I'll call back in another week. So finally, you know, I call her back. She said, you know what? Ron would like to call you. Oh, wow. I said, what? She said, yeah, he'd like to call you. Can I have your number? He said he would call you on the way home from work tonight. Okay, then. Yeah. Uh, uh, no, I'm busy tonight. Tell yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so it, it turns out that it was so important to him that he wanted to talk about it. That's amazing. So Joe was right. And you'll have to read it in the book now. I've told you all I'm going to tell you. Yeah. Well, it, I mean, it's a fantastic story. And, you know, I, uh, there were quotes in there from Ron Howard himself. So, you know, not only are you, you friends with Hal Blaine and, and John Densmore that come to your, <laughs> you know, housewarming, but, you know, you, you're now friends with Ron Howard, one of the most powerful movie directors in all of Hollywood. So that's, that's amazing. It was just amazing all i wanted was for him to confirm or deny and he wants to talk that's great I, and it's a it's a great story and it's it's one of those things that you know it's uh you know i, I tell everybody you're only about three emails away from anybody on earth you know i say yeah. i say that yeah. all the time and yeah. you know it's um it's amazing how intertwined everything really is universally, but yeah. So yeah, Robin, I, I'm curious, you know, uh, again, I know you were very close to Jeff, you know, before his very untimely passing. I mean, he was a young, young guy when he passed. How, yeah. how difficult was it for you to write this book? We're, we're, it, I know it was a mission for you. Um, you know, did you, it was really hard. Oh, I'm sure it was, it was, it was very loving and very hard at the same time. Look, you know, I was tasked with having to write his tribute for modern drummer. Yeah. The minute he passed away, you want to talk about hard? Yeah. I cried for months and I had to interview people the minute he passed away. Yeah. It was the most horrible time. It was, it was dreadful. It was horrible. And everyone understood I had to do it. Um, and they, were there for me. I mean, they bought Skaggs and, and, and I mean, all of them, Gary Katz. And I mean, it, it was horrible. I, I just remember the, the time and the crying and the, it was the, just miserable. Um, this wasn't that. Uh, this was, Tears, but it was also, you know, it was very cathartic for people. I mean, like speaking of Gary Katz, I mean, he and I really bonded through this. And uh, if if people don't know, he was uh, the Steely Dan producer. Um, and uh, for him, he kept saying to me, "This is this is this feels like." I needed to talk about Jeff. For a lot of these people in the book that were talking to me, that were being interviewed, um, 
they really, I mean, they miss him too. I mean, not just the people reading the book who have been waiting for a book on Jeff, but the people I interviewed really miss him too and really wanted an outlet to express their feelings. So for everybody, it was very cathartic and I'm glad that I could give them the outlet. I mean, some of us cried together. Um, uh, Jimmy Webb, you know, I mean, he, the story he told made me cry. Um, I could hear the tears, you know, form from him as he told me his story. And, um, um, and when Jim Keltner got his book, he texted me and uh, told me he had started it and got to the first couple of chapters and wept the whole time. So I guess for everyone, it's been a real, um, it just, I guess it's just been an experience that everybody's needed to go through. And for me too. I mean, it took me eight years and uh, stops and starts like I write in the preface, but uh, now I'm feeling uh, an empty hole. Um, I miss Jeff so much. And, yeah, you know, I miss him. Well, I, you know, I mean, obviously I never had the honor of meeting him, but, you know, here's the thing. Uh, I often wonder, you know, about all of my drumming heroes that, that have left this, this, you know, mortal coil that we call home. Yeah. I always wonder what would it have been like if John Bonham had recorded up into his 60s? You know, what would, yeah. it, what would it be like if Jeff Picaro was still playing, you know, eight studio sessions a week in L.A.? I know. You, yeah. You know, would he yeah. would he today be doing drum tracks from his home remotely like so many others do? You know, I, it, it's it's those questions that. Yeah. That I think about all the time and how much amazing music we've missed out yeah. on because they're gone. Yeah. Yeah. And for sure he'd be producing without a doubt. And yeah. Cause he was starting to when he left. Well, and I mean, you know, gosh, dare I say he produced the Toto records in his own right. kind of, right. you know, strange roundabout way, but right. Right. you know, he was just, um, you know, how, how many drummers are still trying to perfect the Rosanna shuffle? <laughs> I mean, I, I still can't play it the way he did, you know. I know. I, no, well, no, nobody can no, because everybody's right. DNA is different. That's right. And, you know, so I, I just, when I read through the book, it, that was the, the feeling that came over me was, you know, disappointment in the fact that, you know, I didn't get to live through the heyday. I'm looking at it in my rear view mirror. You know what I'm saying? Yes, of course. Um, and it was just, you know, gosh, what would it be today? Um, but it's a fantastic read and, and I know it took you a long time to, to write this, you know, and I wasn't, I didn't feel ready to give it away either. <laughs> yeah. Me, yeah. I mean, I feel like I, and, and, you know, and what's awful is that people are still approaching me with, you know, Oh, I wish I had known, you know, I have a story and there's, you know, I feel like, Oh my God, I could have gone on forever. I, uh, I wish I still had the book and I could be writing more and, it's I and I want to be because I feel like I I just I'm not ready to 
let go still. Well, it's awful. Maybe that's a calling to write part two, you know, and, and if, yeah. it, and if it takes eight years, I, you know, I'll be here. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll, we'll do part two when you write part two. Um, oh God. You, you know, but that's the thing. People always come out of the woodwork and say, Oh, you know, I wish I had known I, I would have added this story to it, you know? Um, but at some point, you know, I, I, I I say this to a lot of my musician friends who are, you know, sweating bullets over their next release. You know, when Springsteen was doing Born to Run, he had done, you know, I don't know, eight million glockenspiel overdubs (laughs) and tambourines and and all that stuff. And and finally, I I, I don't know who it was. It may have been George Landis, but somebody said, dude, at some point you got to just put it out, you know, give it wings. (laughs) Put it out in the world and see what happens. Enough is enough, you know. I know. So we're all thankful that it's out there in the world. Um, And I know that it's been out for... he got to write another song. Yeah. But then he got to... And I feel... I just feel curtailed. I feel... I feel... I feel lost. I feel sad i feel like my baby yeah had wings and it's flying and i'm left behind somehow well except except for the 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 massive truckloads of money that are (laughs) that are surely on the way (laughs) i don't think that's gonna be a thing books you know books don't they just don't yeah Uh, well i'll leave it at that word they just don't but but that was never the motivation anyway of course it the was, reaction um, has been fantastic so far in the reaction i'm you know what what i'm happy about is that it's giving people like i said a, a place to put their feelings and somehow a place to where they left off missing him a feeling of a reconnection yeah and and for me that's the joy i was worried you know i i i was worried that it wouldn't resonate like that and so for me i am just i'm doing a dance i'm so happy that people are feeling like they've Get, they're getting something out of it. That's that, that's all for me. That's what it's about. And that makes me so happy. But I do feel a loss. That's just the personal piece of it. That I, sure. I just feel a great, great loss. Sure, of course. I mean, and, you know, that's the other thing. You know, I, I, I guess, you know, there's the old adage that, you know, don't get too close to your subjects you know, as, <laughs> but you can't help it. Right. I mean, you guys were so close for so many years. I, I can't imagine yeah. anybody being any better suited to write this book than you. Well, that's always the yin and the yang, isn't it, Jamie? Yes, it is. You know, when you get, you know, when you get close, you can lose a lot. But you also, you know, what do they say? It's better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. Yes, ma'am. I guess that pretty much sums it up. Yep, pretty much. Well, so one more thing that I want to talk about on the in the book um, yes. that, that just amazed me, and I, I want you to add some color to this. And I, again, I don't want to give too much away, but okay, at, at one point in here, you know, there's a story of Jeff. I, I think he may have been in the studio with Steely Dan and he got very frustrated and, and kind of threw his sticks down. And I, I think the quote was, I can't play shuffles, get somebody else to do it. And, you know, my jaw kind of dropped open because this is a guy that's known for one of the greatest halftime shuffles of all time. Yeah. So he never thought he could play a shuffle. Well, good God, man. I mean, you know, <laughs> what are the rest yeah, of us no, mere he, mortals? He never, he never thought he could play a shuffle. 
so when you heard that story, were you like, this sounds far-fetched as well, or? No, because I knew that he always thought he couldn't play a shuffle. I just don't. I Always. It doesn't compute because. The- and he was uncomfortable and he, I mean, it was his, it was his, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not nemesis. It was his, um, it, it was the thorn in his side. It was the, it was the one thing that he felt he wasn't good at. Yeah, it was it was it was as bad as the stupid quote he gave me in one of the interviews. My time sucks. <laughs> I mean, the, the guy was a human clock. Yes, he was. You know, and, but he also thought that he couldn't play shuffles. So I I wonder if it's just the the sheer tenacity of him as a musician. That, you know, if he felt I can't do this well, or, or this is, you know, my kryptonite, if you will, is that why he spent so much time perfecting it and being such a badass at doing it? I, I'm just curious. Maybe. Maybe. But I think he was so. I think he admired. Bernard Purdy so much that he was never going to feel like he could do that the way he did. Yeah. And I think, um, and are you referring to the story where he broke his thumb? No, but that was pretty amazing as well that, that he, you know, cut a Steely Dan track with a broken thumb. Um, Right. Right. Cause that was also, I think uh, he got aggravated and threw the sticks down and walked away. Yeah. He, he, Jeff was, you know, very hard on himself and very um, just didn't believe that he was as good as he was. I mean, that was just Jeff. Yeah. Well, and, you know, there's a great quote in here from Keltner. And again, don't want to give too much away, but but one sentence, you know, um, Jeff really looked up to Jim Keltner. And I think Keltner said, knock it off, man. You're Jeff Picaro. You know, st- stop. <laughs> stop with that. Stop with that. You're, you're Jeff Picaro. Get get over it. You know, <laughs> like, yeah, like you're the yeah. dude. Stop. Stop talking about me being the dude. You're the dude. That's right. <laughs> That's right. That's right. At some point, Jeff became the guy to look up to and and. And he didn't get it. He just Jeff didn't get it. He yeah. just didn't. Well, um, you know, I, obviously, uh, we're still trying to disseminate and replicate what he brought to the table, all of us, you know, to this day. I know. Um, I know. And the good news about being an artist, you know, is you leave a lot of stuff behind that everybody gets to enjoy for all of mankind. and. You know, I know. So not only do we get to listen to his amazing playing, we now have this amazing book that recounts his life. So for that, we're all indebted to you, Robin. It's a great book. It really is. Thanks, Jamie. Well, the great thing about Jeff is that he worked so much and, you know, three and four sessions a day. So thankfully, in his horribly short life, we have a huge amount of work and um, the discography and the book um, was um, a lot of work thanks to, uh, um, well, Joe really worked hard on that, um, but it, 
you know, he, he amassed a great amount of work in his short years. So we're, we're very lucky. He did indeed. And, you know, I'm curious too, you may not have the answer to this, but are there things that are still sitting in some studio archive someplace that we haven't heard yet? Or do you know? You know, I don't know for sure. I think Toto has finally released um, what has been sitting, but for but I really honestly don't know if they've released everything. Um, so I won't say. Okay. Well, I don't know. You know, when you play as many sessions as Jeff did, there's a, a lot of takes that don't get used. And I just wonder, you know, somebody out there someplace should do whatever, oh, yeah. whatever they can to get that together and just put it out. Um, you know, because his, uh, his throwaway stuff is better than most guys, <laughs> you know, you and, are so right, Jamie, you are so right. You know, yep. just, just True. amazing. Well, True. Uh, Robin, I want to be respectful of your time. Um, a couple of things that I want to get to before we let you go. Number one is I have an extra copy of the book sitting here and I am very thankful that you sent me an extra copy to give away to one of our listeners. So I'm going to do this. Pick pick a number, say, between 1 and 20. 17. All right. So the 17th listener after this episode publishes, the 17th that emails me and says, I want the book, you will get a free copy of It's About Time, Jeff Picaro. The Man and His Music from Robin Flans. Thank you, Robin, for uh, giving one away to one of our listeners. Um, so we, we will get that out to whomever that person may be. Lastly, before we let you go, we always ask all of our guests for a good piece of advice. And it's typically, you know, to take into our day-to-day drumming routines or, you know, into the studio, onto a gig or whatever. But your legendary career of journalism, talking to all these drummers, what have you learned that you would impart on other drummers? Well, I would impart always be on time, always be upbeat, and I don't mean on your instrument, <laughs> I mean in, in the room, uh, always have a smile like Jeff did, always play for the music, never showboat, always care about what you're doing, and always listen have big ears. Yeah. That's that's That sums it up. Yeah. That's all really, really good advice. You know, I joke on this show all the time, you know, the day I figured out it's not about the notes I play. It's about the notes I don't play. The day I figured that out, I got a whole lot more work. That's right. You know, so, well, Robin, thank you so, so much for your time. Um, again, excellent book. Everybody go get a copy of this. Uh, I know it's available wherever you can find books, uh, but it's published by Hudson Music, um, great music publisher up in New York. You can go directly to their website and get it. Um, again, it's also it's- available on, on Amazon and it's available on Kindle and um, yeah, yeah. So make sure you pick up a copy. It's a great read. Um, it, it's it is not a you know a twelve hundred page tome. It, you know you can get through this book in a few days. Um, you know uh, some some biographies. You know how this goes, Robin. Some of them, you know, it's it's this, this, yeah. You know the the size no, of a. Very easy. <laughs> yes, it is an easy read, and and that's uh, it, it was a joy for me. And I've got just a couple of chapters left, and and the discography at the back. So I'm looking forward to finishing it up. But we've got to have you back on the drum shuffle. So we'll 
we'll plan on a part two. Well, thank you so much for having me, Jamie. It's been my pleasure. No, no, no. It's been all our pleasure, and we will absolutely have you back and talk to you real soon. Thank you much. All right. Talk to you soon. Okay. All right, guys and girls, that's going to wrap up episode 118 of the Drum Shuffle podcast. A million and one thanks to Robin Flans for taking time out of her schedule to come on the show. It was a real treat for me to have her on the show and to get to talk about this book and just some of her history with Modern Drummer. So just as a quick reminder, the 17th email that I get at the Drum Shuffle podcast at gmail.com I will mail you a free copy of It's About Time, Jeff Picaro, uh, The Man and His Music. You will get a copy in the mail from me, 17th emailer. As always, I'm going to ask you to hit the subscribe button, thumbs up, star rating, review, whatever you can do to help spread the word of the Drum Shuffle podcast is greatly appreciated, and we simply cannot do this without each and every one of you guys tuning in week in and week out. Again, we are off next week, but I will be back the week after that. We're going to be joined again by the great Jeff Williams. I always feel like I've talked to a Zen master after speaking with him, so you're not going to want to miss that. We answer every single email that we get here. It's the drum shuffle podcast at gmail.com. Our web address is the drumshuffle.com. And you can find more information on me over at jamieeds.com. So until next time, may your heads stay strong and your sticks never break. Cheers, everybody. 